Are hybrid whales a problem for evolution? Welcome to Answers News, Wednesday, February 14th, 2024. In today's top story, scientists make a whale of a discovery. Wow. Hello. Oh, I got a fun <laughs> in right there. I'm Dr. Georgia Furtum. This is Brian Osborne and Roger Patterson. And so let's get right into this. Bluefin whale hybrids are more common than we thought. Turns out they can breed. And so this is, these are actually called flu whales, F-L-U-E, which is a combination of the fin whale with the blue whale name, so you get flu whale. Um, and basically, these are two different species of whales that they have found are actually creating offspring, okay? So we call those hybrids when they come from two different species. And this is, they're both um, different um, species of baleen whales. And for evolutionists, this is kind of surprising because in their evolutionary um, uh, timeline, so to speak, these whales separated from each other 8.35 million very exact, 8.35 million years ago. And so they should be so different by now that they can't mate, yet that's exactly what we're finding out. Yeah, and in the biblical time scale, this is no problem. We think of the different types of whales, uh, probably all part of the same created kind. It might be that the toothed whales and the baleen whales are different groups uh, in different created kinds. There's a, a bit of differentiation there that might separate them. Um, but we think of the hallmark of being inside of a created kind as being able to interbreed. And we look back to Genesis 1, God created the plants with the seed in them to reproduce after their kind. That same basic language is given for the animals, so we can infer that's the same uh, hallmark for those. And that's what we see here with these baleen whales. They can actually interbreed. So we have that so strong, solid evidence that these are part of the same created kind. So it's no surprise for us because God created whales. These baleen whales are in the same created kind. They'd be able to interbreed. Uh, so here we have them mating. Now what's kind of surprising is oftentimes when we see these hybrids, they're not able to produce fertile offspring. But we do see that occasionally. So if you've heard that in school, that when things hybridize, they can't reproduce offspring that are fertile, that's not true. It's the general rule. Um, but when we see a mule produced from a horse and a donkey, they're generally not fertile. But here, some of these offspring are fertile. So this is just an example of God's created kinds able to speciate, form different species, but then come back together and um, have offspring. So in a nutshell, what we learned from this article is that whales breed with whales and they make whales. Wow. That is a lot <laughs> of whales. All right. And uh, it actually I do show some concern about the fact that as the blue whales interbreed with these fin whales, that maybe we're losing the variation for the blue whales and they're being lost into these new breeds. Maybe the blue whales would disappear. Uh, and they're seeing that as a problem. But of course, we were talking about earlier in the evolutionary worldview, if we do lose the variation of the blue whale in favor of this different breed, why would that matter? This would just be right. selection and process, evolution happening. But they seem pretty concerned about it. Yeah, but it really, it's arbitrary within that naturalistic, that evolutionary worldview. Why would it matter? We're just seeing this selection process. They'd say, well, humans have impacted that, but aren't humans just part of that process as well? Aren't we affecting things just like other animals would? We're just highly evolved animals. 
one animal impacting another. So it's an arbitrary claim to say that this shouldn't be happening and we should protect these. Now, we have a reason to do that because in the Bible, God called us to be stewards over creation and we should be watching over these animals and caring for them. Now, not to the detriment of humanity, Humans are God's pinnacle of creation, but God's given us animals to care for and we should steward them. But from the evolutionary perspective, why even really worry about these animals? And why would it matter that one population is being merged with another? And sometimes hybrids even have more vigor. So maybe these fin whales mating with the blue whales, it's going to produce a better species that will be able to survive better in the future. That's yeah. right. We see that. We see that. And it may be that it's um, some adaptation. In other words, there's something in the environment that may be causing this to happen, um, causing them to select more to do this. Um, I visited the Galapagos quite a few years ago now, but they said that even there, certain species of finches will start to mate with one another and produce hybrid um, right before they have El Nino events. Um, and so <laughs> it's because the hybrids are actually more vigorous and able to withstand um, the changes that are coming. And that's kind of cool. Like, I mean, that they kind of sense, so to speak, God has kind of designed that They've in them programmed. to be able to, right, to survive mm -hmm. in a fallen world. And so maybe there's something like that going on here. We don't know. But um, it's kind of neat to, to see that happening and very easy to explain um, within a biblical worldview. That's right. All right, founder of the first pediatric gender clinic in the U.S. fears providers are rushing gender transitions. Can well, we talk about Wells? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> so this is refreshing to hear in the sense that even the person who founded, this was at um, Boston Children's Hospital, uh, the, and the woman that did this was Laura Edwards-Leeper, and so she was the first one to do this, but she's even saying, whoa, wait a minute, we're rushing into this too much to do this to these children. Um, you know, they really need to go through a law of evaluation and really find out if now, I'm not, this, this woman is 100% for gender transitions, okay, which I don't agree with. But at least she's saying, wait a minute, I think we need to take a step back and we need to think about this and really decide if this is in the best interest of these children or not. Yeah, and the people that she worked especially with decades ago were older individuals. And as we think about how the pace of, um, the, the changes in the way we view human sexuality in the West have, have happened. Uh, we go back 20, 30, 40 years ago. People that she was working with before had not grown up with this idea as children. They came to this later in life, and she worked with them later in life. Now, we're not saying that these things are right, of course, but from her perspective, she's looking back at how the culture has changed, and she sees back then, this is this timeline of how things were progressing very slowly, and now things are accelerating, and children from a very young age are being coached into these things, and she recognizes the dangers that are there, and how it's quite a different environment from when she was promoting these things decades ago, and she's raising some alarms, and rightly so, and some of those dangers are very, very significant. Yeah, they really are. And the fact that she is pro-transgender is definitely worth noting. So she's on the side of that movement. It is an anti-biblical movement, to be sure, but she's on that side. But even she is recognizing that this stuff is happening way too fast, and there's not the proper regulation, even from her particular perspective, 
on this issue. And she's actually saying, hey, listen, what's interesting is the influence of our culture is saying that if you don't jump on board with this revolution wholeheartedly, full bore, without any breaks, then you're part of the problem. She's saying she's being accused by others who are in full step with the transgender movement, even though she has trained, if they don't agree to immediately do hormone therapy or do surgeries to take away perfectly healthy body parts, if you don't agree to that immediately, or you're, being, you're being transphobic. And so you're actually part of the problem. But these surgeries, these hormone therapies are literally life-altering, as you would expect them to be. And they have irreversible effects on those who take part in them, and especially if they are younger. And they can be catastrophic to fertility, for health, for plain old sanity or mental health later on in life. And so rushing anyone to this is actually cruel and unbiblical, but she's recognizing, especially pushing kids who don't have yet even the authority to get a Tylenol at school without their parents' permission. They should not have the right to say, I demand to have hormone therapies or these sort of surgeries. And a lot of this, I think, you know, um, this rapid onset gender dysphoria, it's a very long name that they give it, a lot of this is due to social media influences. You know, we, they didn't have that years ago when she started this clinic, not, not to the level that they do now. And so um, I think a lot of that is due to, well, you know, this is what every, it, that peer pressure, you know, everyone else is doing it. It's the cool thing to do. It's the thing that will get me a lot of attention. So I'm going to do it. And so I think we, we see that. And um, what she is saying, she even said at one point, what should be a medical and psychological issue has been morphed into a political one. It's a mess. And yeah. so this is, a per I mean, this is a person, again, that is actually for this type of surgery and for these transition. But she's saying, hey, we need to, she was saying no one under the age, well, she was saying, someone else was saying that no one under the age of 25 should be allowed to go undergo a gender transition because even the brain is still developing up until that stage and maturing. Um, and we need to make sure um, that it's not transient and it's, you know, what they're feeling and that it's a real thing. Because when you think about it, when you're going through puberty, there's a lot of changes, right? And a lot of like figuring things out, um, who you are and, and who, what, as Christians especially, should be figuring out who God designed you to be, right? He made you a male or a female for a reason and yeah. how to live that out. Um, and so not rushing, and again, regardless, we would say it's wrong, but not rushing into these types of decisions that are forever decisions. Yeah, and we can see from the secular perspective how they would want to try to create these things that are going to bring them comfort. Uh, we live in a world that is cursed with sin. Our minds are corrupted. Our hearts are corrupted. The world around us is corrupted. That's going to create things that are uncomfortable and as we experience that discomfort, um, we can, um, those of us who have trusted in Christ, we know the forgiveness of Christ, we understand what the world should be like, we need to have compassion toward those people. Um, these people have rejected God's plan for their life and for their sexuality the way that he's created them and want to do something different. Um, we need to be compassionate toward them, um, help show them what God's good intention was originally and how those things have been skewed. Uh, we go back to Genesis, point them to the truth and the hope that we find of Christ coming in the Gospels, the future consummation, restoration, all of those pieces that um, point to the hope of the Gospel. And that's where we can really help them find that true hope. Um, one of the people quoted here who has um, detransitioned, as it's referred to, said, I expected it to change everything 
but it was just me with a slightly deeper voice after she had gone from female to male because her heart, her sinful heart, was still there with her. And then another person um, says that you're made to believe these slogans. It's evidence-based. It's life-saving care. It's safe and effective. It's medically necessary. The science is settled, and none of this is evidence-based. And the next article that we're going to cover touches on a lot more of those aspects, but it's really destroying the lives of so many people. And the secular cures are worldly wisdom and wait till later, but that's still not going to get to the root of the matter. Well, and even what they're so trying to do here is what's happening in our culture by and large is they've, we've thrown away biblical understanding of anthropology. We've thrown away the biblical understanding of who we are, of gender, of sexuality, of identity. We've thrown that away. and We've told generations of kids, okay, there's no solid rock to define who you are. You've got to figure it out for yourself. It's the old Disney slogan, just follow your heart and now define who you are. And, and the Bible says to follow your heart is a terrible idea because it's deceitful and wicked and broken by sin. But you have people who are now trying to define themselves outside of biblical parameters. No wonder they are so broken. And I've said before, and I'll say again, kind of echoing what you just said, Roger, I believe the church, Christians, will have such a, an incredible opportunity to minister to so many people who are hurt and broken by this whole movement that we can share the truth of them of who they are, where their identity is actually found, and to share their need for a Savior because our foundational identity in every person is we're made in God's image, Genesis 1. Mm-hmm. Genesis 3, we're broken by sin. And then we need to be saved through the last Adam, Jesus Christ. And so that's the foundational identity of every person in salvation they're really looking for. And we'll have an incredible opportunity to help them with that. But um, the secular worldview offers no real hope, and its solutions are just essentially detrimental in the long run and short run. Yeah, and that again goes into this next article. It says, you know, pediatrician's group says evidence lacks to support gender surgeries, hormones for trans youth. And so this is from the American College of Pediatricians. They released a new position paper. And what they were doing is outlining a lot of the um, research that has been done in this area. Like, let's get down to the facts. What do the facts actually say? Because a lot of these, you know, like he, like the detransitioner was saying, there's all these slogans, there's all these Propaganda things out there, out there. right? Mm-hmm. Headlines That's and it. things. But is it really supported by the evidence? And so um, what this group did was to show that if you look at all of the studies that have been done, on these trans-identifying children and, and everything, all of them are showing that these individuals have a lot of um, psychological, mental problems or abuse in their past. There's something, there's something else underlying. So the way that they're kind of, in other words, I, I guess I would say like living that out, right, is they're questioning their gender. But it's, because, it's tied to a real problem that they have that needs to be dealt with. The answer isn't, to change their gender, right? The answer is to deal with their problem, first and foremost, that they need help uh, with. Yeah, so this um, article here identifies depression, anxiety, autism, other things that are going on in the lives of these individuals that are then causing them to look for a way to deal with those issues. And they're seeing people getting attention and being doted on by transitioning to another sex or taking on these different characteristics. And sadly, we even see people acting as animals and all kinds of other things. They're getting attention and they're being praised for taking on these new identities. 
especially this is part of um, what's happening inside of public schools, um, officials inside of the school systems, and many parents. Parents are getting attention. They're running whole TikTok channels. My son is this, and my daughter is that now. All these different things are happening that the, the adults in the lives of these children are kind of channeling them and funneling them toward these things. And it's really the adults who are the ones who are guiding them in these areas. And that comes out in this, this article as well. So it's, it's not so much the kids who are um, really striving after these things, but the adults in their lives are leading them these ways because they're the ones who are propping all of this up and helping them supporting them in this and kind of guiding them that way, giving them the positive affirmation. And it's all because of the social contagion idea that you mentioned earlier. This is where the world thinks everything is going. I can be free in my sexuality. I can do whatever I want to. But God's design is God created you who you are, and you need to find your fulfillment and your wholeness in that person connected to Christ. Christ said that I am the vine and you're the branches and you need to be connected to me. And when we're not, we're going to die and be withering away. And so it's helping them, as Brian mentioned earlier, be connected to Christ, find their true identity there, and then we'll see them flourishing. And really, if you go through the article, there's some really good research, a lot of good studies, uh, in-depth studies with a lot of people to look at and reference and get some good data from. But by and large, those who are struggling with these transgender ideologies, they're struggling with the other mental issues, as you mentioned earlier. And there seems to be some correlation between the two one way or the other. And then uh, one of the most important things we noted uh, as we were talking about this before coming on the show is that they noted that the rate of suicide attempts among trans-identified youth is not different from that experienced by individuals who've experienced bullying or who identify as LGB. But Brian, I hear that all the time, that if I don't support them and affirm them, it's just not true. And what a bludgeoning tool that is. You will tell a parent, hey, listen, your daughter thinks that she's a boy. If you don't let her transition, she's going to kill herself. You want to be responsible for killing your daughter? That's what parents are told. And so they hear that. They think, no, I I love my child. I'll take her home any way I can get them. And so, yes, sure. Now, of course, that's utterly anti-biblical, and it's actually throwing gas on a horrific fire. It's not going to help ultimately. But you see how people can be so easily bullied. Yes. But what the stats show is that's not the case at all. There is no difference. As a matter of fact, if you take into consideration all the other mental health issues, it may increase those rights. Well, yeah, it says there's a, they said there's a very low certainty about the effects of puberty blocker, blockers on suicidal ideation. In other words, even giving them puberty blockers isn't helping them. Like, they're still considering these things. And they said there's no long-term evidence that current gender-affirming medication and surgical protocols benefit their mental well-being. Yeah, and yet, again, we're being told, well, this is a solution. This is going to make them feel better. But over and over, just like you're talking about some of the detransitioners, that's not what we're hearing. Right from people who have been through this, who grow up a little bit more and say, "Oh, that was just a phase," you know. And and I've always said, I've said for a long time, this is the largest um, medical experimentation being done on children that is sanctioned by both the government, doctors, as well as parents. And that is just sad. And we are going to we are going to really see, I think, a lot of backlash. We're already seeing it. We're going to continue to see more. And that's why, again, we need to be advocating for children, right? Standing up for them because it's not just, I think something we talked about a little bit before, this isn't just about, you know, them possibly being sterile later in life. But 
if you are a woman and you're taking testosterone, okay, male hormones, there's a lot, and, and vice versa, there's a lot of problems with that. Those are not the hormones that your body is intended to have in those quantities. And so you're seeing things like osteoporosis and heart disease and, um, you know, strokes and diabetes and all kinds of problems. And so what you do is you're creating a whole a group of people that will be dependent on the medical care system for the rest of their lives. And you know what that does for the medical care system? It brings in an awful lot of money. And I think that's one of the roots of this is just not just this ideology, but because it brings in a lot of money um, to do this to people. And it's sad. Yeah. So let's, let's offer them help. Let's offer right. them hope, not these false yep. things that Ideal. are not going to provide real help and hope. Well, it's interesting, too, towards the end of the article, the author says this, that we should be offering a lot more help to those who are wanting to detransition. And that's a sad reality in this whole movement, that those who transition, so-called, well, they're applauded, they are lauded, they are encouraged, they are uh, equipped. But those who want to detransition, to go back to their actual gender, well, that's typically swept under the rug because it doesn't fit the narrative of the revolution in our culture. And they are typically dismissed, and they are not helped. And we got a video on YouTube where we look at the accounts of many different trans detransitioners, and they are broken. Oh, they're so broken by what's happening in their lives, what they've done to themselves, and they need a solution. And that's a great book to help with that. Yeah, we've got a new uh, book just released by our uh, executive CEO, Martin Niles, Who Am I? Uh, he goes through and really deals with that biblical foundation for identifying who you are as an image bearer of God and how that points you to that true identity of humanity would uh, be a great resource, especially for younger generation dealing with these things. So really recommend you pick up yeah. this a copy of this book, great equipping book for the church. All right, so we're going back to fish. Back to of, fish. A lot of Woo-hoo. fish today for some reason. All right, an ancient Australian air-breathing fish from 380 million years ago. All right, so this is um, something called a lobe-finned fish. Right? So it's different from most fish or what we consider the ray-finned fish, okay, which is what you normally think of when you think of a fish. But the lobe-finned fish have really fleshy kind of appendages. Um, and um, so this, they, they named a new species of it, right, in Australia, and they said, and I had to laugh when I read about this, so they said this is from the tetrapodomorphs lineages, um, which became the ancestors, so these lobes that they have, okay, so they, they imagine that they're, they're using these lobes to help them kind of move up on mm. to land, okay, and so they'll say, well, these are the ancestors of limbed tetrapods, and later humans. Wait, so this right? is my so we uncle? From some lobes it's and, your cousin. It's my cousin, my uncle. <laughs> 380 hey. million years removed. And so obviously, if that's the case, then when we see lobed fin fish today, they are kind of walking around? No, that's not what they use those structures for at all. They can kind of do that, but they're not supporting structures. They don't have bones that go in and connect up into the rest of their body. They just use them for fins. And in fact, uh, one of these, the famous one, the coelacanth, they thought they would find them doing this inside. And no, that's not what happens at all. You think of um, lungfish in Africa and things like this today. They don't do that. So when we, we, I've seen videos of this. We watch these animations. They do these little frame. This is this step and this is this step. But that's all it is. It's a story that the evolutionists tell. It's a historical 
idea that they have. They go back and do historical science, but there's no evidence that shows how all these things happened. They're filling in the gaps there to tell this story that matches their history of the universe, history of the earth. But that doesn't match. All of this evidence here fits exactly, matches exactly what we see with the fish we have today. And in fact, what we do see in this fish, this new species that they've described, um, is a bunch of convergent evolution. So one of the features that we see here in these lobefin fish are these spiracles, these little holes on the top of the head. Uh, you can see those little, little tiny circles there back behind the eye. Those are what they rise up to the surface and they use those to breathe with so they can actually breathe air and breathe through their lungs under the water. So that gives them a bit of survival advantage, adapt, uh, adaptivity in different environments. And we see that today. You can go watch a video of one of these on YouTube doing this today. So they had that ability in the past, they have it today. And there are ray-finned fish who do this. There are lobe-finned fish who do this. So this is an example of convergent evolution. Why would these two lines, different lines do this? Well, they're this? not even related from an yeah. evolutionary standpoint. So they, basically what they're saying is by random chance mutation, which is the main mechanism of Darwinian evolution, both these fish that are completely, quote unquote, unrelated to one another, happen upon the exact same structure in the exact same location, doing the exact same function. I mean, what are the odds, the right? That's luck. what I always just blows my mind when I think about convergent evolution, because you're not just saying, you're not just saying something had to evolve once. You're saying it had to involve at least twice, right? And you happen upon the same thing. I mean, that, no, it's that this is God's design for these fish, even though one's ray finned and one's lobe finned, that, because they do have to do similar functions in similar spaces. And what we're really seeing here is that God made fish with amazing diversity. And as Roger mentioned, you go to YouTube, and there are some really amazing fish. you got flying fish right. and walking fish and all sorts of weird fish out there, weird yeah. face fish, things that dangle from their head, like an eyeball coming down or whatever it is, like a bait. It, there's, it's <laughs> big teeth, little teeth. I mean, it's everything in between. So lots of variation. But those are just displays of God's creative ingenuity in his right. creation. And fish make fish is what's happening here. And this line, it's just kind of a personal pet peeve of mine, I guess. But it said, this publication is the culmination of 50 years of exploration and research. So they've researched for 50 years and conclu concluded fish make variations of fish. Wow. And I'm not trying to be derogatory because there is some, of course, value in looking at these variations. No doubt about that. My point is they are wasting so much time, effort, and intellect because of their wrong worldview that leads them down the wrong path and the wrong study. If they reorient it rightly within a biblical framework, it would be so much more helpful to them in human flourishing and fish flourishing. Uh, is that such a thing? Fish flourishing? Uh, so now we're going from fish to dinosaurs. Well, and craters. Temperature inside Cheeksalube crater after dinosaur-killing asteroid hit revealed with paleothermometer. Okay, Ooh, so... I want one of those. Cheeksalube, <laughs> okay, is a, is a crater um, that is down... And it probably formed the Gulf of Mexico area, okay, down in the Yucatan Peninsula. And um, so this is a real thing. Uh, so from a biblical creation worldview, we would say that this happened sometime during the flood um, because of where we find it, basically. And um, it was caused by a rock that was probably about seven and a half miles wide, which That's is a big huge one. when you think about it. 
about it hitting. The crater itself is 125 miles wide, and we're talking massive. The amount of stuff that would have been blasted into the atmosphere, they estimate to be 12,000 cubic miles of debris. If you compare that to Mount Fuji, okay, which is a pretty active, you know, volcanic, volcanic eruption that's occurred, that was 24 cubic miles. Okay, this is 12,000 cubic miles. So this is a lot of stuff. This was a major, major catastrophe, you know, a crater and cratering effect or impact that occurred during the flood. And so what their view, though, is that this occurred 66 million years ago rather than about 4,500 years ago during the flood. And what they're trying to do is look at the different layers that are kind of formed as a result of this particular impact and what happened afterwards and try to guesstimate their temperature. Yeah, so what happens when these cratering events happen, there's so much heat that it deforms and metamorphoses the rock layers around it. And one of the ways they're supposedly using the thermometer, now you can't go buy one of those, Brian, sorry. <laughs> it's probably too expensive anyway. <laughs> they would drill down to the rock and sample the rock layers around there. Uh, the rock around it is all injected and you can't sample that. But the rock layers below it, they sampled that and look at the um, isotopic ratios of carbon and oxygen that form the carbonates underneath of that. And they know based on current levels and current formation of carbonates, how much of certain isotopes to expect in these different temperature ranges. And so they've estimated that the, um, the temperature would have been around 330 degrees Celsius or 625 Fahrenheit at the certain range underneath of here where these carbonates formed. And so they've done these estimates. It's probably fairly good science to yeah. estimate these sure. things as far as observational science in the present being interpreted back into the past. Not a bad um, claim. But then they go on to talk about this impact that killed the dinosaurs. And that's the, the um, conjecture that leads into the worldview with the old earth ideas. And then all the carbonates that would have been released in the atmosphere, converted into carbon dioxide, that would have caused global warming and killed off everything, all those things that go into it. And that's where the time frames come into play. Yeah, it's also interesting they said this, and the research also suggests that the asteroid impact didn't release as much carbon dioxide as previously thought, which could change the way scientists look at the mass extinction event that follows. Yeah. And I made a note here, evolution or evolutionists are always evolving. And their story is always evolving because it is always changing with new data. And uh, it's interesting, the very last line of the article says this, so knowing in detail how these processes work is crucial for us to understand the history of our planet and the history of our species. And I'll say what is crucial to understanding our history is a reliable eyewitness account who's recorded the event for us so we know what happened and then understand Where the world today. Where in the world would we come up with something like that? We have one in God's Word. Oh, right? the Which Bible. they reject, so wrong assumptions, wrong conclusions. All right, so to finish up our time here, we have a resource that we want to um, just briefly tell you about. It's how many animal, um, is it how many animals, sorry, I can't read the time. <laughs> how many animals um, were on the ark? And this is a great book. We talked a little bit about the animal kind. If you want to find out more about the animal kinds and how, you know, all the species that we have today come from those animal kinds that were either 
in the ocean and in the waters, okay, when the flood occurred or that were on the ark. And how can we get that speciation, that variation, but still not evolution from one kind of animal to another? So it's a great lay level book that will help you understand that more. We also have um, a brand new curriculum called Mrs. C and Me, a journey through the seven seas of history. So if you're looking for a curriculum for younger children, maybe preschool or kindergarten up through about second grade, um, these have um, videos associated with them as well as lots of really fun activities, um, crafts, games, snacks, and everything to really help them through as you, as you walk through uh, the museum. You see the seven seas of history beginning in Genesis, going all the way to Revelation, and really how to help kids understand the foundational importance of Genesis to uh, biblical authority, to the gospel message, and all of those things kind of tied into one. And then we also have a, a great magazine. We actually have two magazines. We have Answers Magazine, and then we have Kids Answers, which is a separate magazine that's just for children. And so, so if you order Answers Magazine, you will get the kids' answers with it, which is really, really great. And so something for you as an adult, something for your kids. It has lots of activities and fun things to do in it. We're looking at science and culture from a biblical worldview. We also have the availability to get the kids' answers magazine by itself because what kid doesn't like to get mail, right? And so this comes four <laughs> so times true. a year. It's a lot of fun for them. So you can get a subscription to um, Answers Magazine or just the kids' answers. We encourage you to check that Grandkids out. Grandkids um, or nieces and nephews, you want to send that yeah. to? Great. And I hear there's this crazy scientist guy who has a feature in there, there every is. year. Yeah, so Mr. P here, he has a show on Answers TV called um, Unlocking Science, and he also has an article in the Kids Answers magazine that kind of helps you do some fun science fun experiments. So we hope that you'll check that out. We are out of time for today, so we'll see you back here next Wednesday. See you guys.